0: Well, hello. I, uh, it's a beautiful day where I am. It's a little chilly, but, and I don't see any heavy machinery out the window. So, well, let's begin. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful. Enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you, the hearts of the faithful. by the light of the Holy Spirit, grant us by that same Spirit to have right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Saint Michael, the archangel, defend us in battle. Be our defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him. We humbly pray. And do thou, Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, all right, let's go to the big book on the on the coffee table, and we're really what's really going here. Well, today's reading is Romans, the eighth chapter. It's just St. Paul is cooking, and, and it's the 8th chapter, the 12th verse, but I want to go back to Saturday's reading, the 8th chapter, the 1st verse, and following, because it's a continuation. Now, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This this is a tough, tough uh, um, uh, passage at least for me to understand uh, we saw on on friday he was saying about the good i i i, I don't do the good that i want to do but the evil that i do i don't want and you know i i'm incapable of doing that which is good in my flesh there is nothing that is good and i think that word is agathon and and that means uh um uh, that's the most inclusive word for good in greek it's it's a uh, we talked about he uses st paul uses kalon kagathon he kalon it means virtuous noble beautiful and it's uniquely a quality of of well pretty much the human soul but agathon i can never remember if it's agathon or agathon, but trust me it's in there uh it, it, it's a um uh, it's it's a, the general word for good and it, it can mean well, that's good for something. It's good to eat. It's it's you're a good person. The virtue of goodness is agathosune, and um, uh, it, it's just a very inclusive word. So that's what's not in my flesh. My flesh is not good of itself. You know that that we like to say, well, the body is good, and it is when it's used appropriately, but in itself. St. Paul really does when he talks about the members of the body. It's those that, that means those parts, those things that are useful uh, for a purpose. Uh, And, you know, I I love to say there's a verse in scripture which should dominate our, our, uh, our housekeeping attitudes. You know, you pick something up and you say, oh, that's still good. I don't want to throw it out. Well, no, it's good. It's good for something. If, if it isn't good for anything, if you haven't used a thing in three or four years, toss it. It's just, it's just taking up space. You know, it's the opposite. It's the, that's the hoarder's biblical verse. God alone is good. Everything else is good for something. Well, the body is good for its purpose. Um, at least that's how I read this. Again, please take what I'm saying with a grain of salt. He says, uh, we're still, we're, we've, we've, I used to conduct a Bible study that we ended up three or four verses behind where we ended and that's what we're doing today Um, that I take delight in the law of God but I see in my members and that's that's the word that means you know the things that I can move uh, another principle at war with the law of my mind who will deliver me from this this body of death thanks be to God through Jesus Christ so what he's saying is that the law is that this would be is very offensive to orthodox jews uh but this is what saint paul said and he meant it remember he was an orthodox pharisee in his youth um he said he calls it the law of death it's not alive now keep that in your mind that the law is not alive it's written on tablets of stone it's not a living thing it is fixed It is unchanging as a corpse. This is the law. Boom. Now, as I say, that would be very offensive and reasonably so to someone who was uh, uh, or is an Orthodox Jew. Now, we move on to Saturday. He's saying, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? And then he says, now there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus the Messiah. And, and uh, the word for condemnation is katakrima. It means, it means a negative condemnation, a, not just a judgment, but a, 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 a casting down. Uh, um, there's no condemnation for those who are in Jesus the Messiah, for the law of the spirit of life in Jesus the Messiah has freed you from the law of sin and death. And by calling that the law of sin and death, uh, um, he's talking about both the natural law, and the torah i i again please take it with a grain of salt uh i i i I hesitate to say these things out loud because really I'm, i'm i'm learning along with you i really am but the idea that natural law is law of death natural law points out what's wrong natural law does not empower me to do it i have a fallen nature you know I know that it's wrong to steal, and and natural law would teach me that if I don't want to be stolen from, I shouldn't steal things. That just makes sense, but boy, I really would like that car, or I really would like that thing. You see, I have uh, another law in myself that's contradicting the law of God. The the Torah and the natural law come from God. St. Paul has said, you both have these in common that the Ten Commandments are not just a Jewish thing. They're universal. They're written in our hearts. Still can't obey them. <laughs> the law, weakened by the flesh, is powerless. God sent his own son in the likeness of, of, of flesh. For the sake of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. This is, I think, one of the greatest mysteries of, um, in the Bible, and we're still in Saturday's reading. This isn't today's reading. We have, I got to look at the clock. We got to get today's readings, but, but he sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh and thus he sin in sin in the flesh. In other words, in his dying and in his rising, Jesus pointed out that even the flesh can be made spiritual. Remember, it's a resurrection body that Jesus had. St. Paul talks about the spiritual body. We talked about that last week. It's a real body. You can touch it, but it is spiritual. What does that mean? I'll, I'll, I'll jump to the flesh. Or I'll jump, I won't jump to the flesh. I'll jump to the, to the point. The word spirit, again, for the 105th time, the word spirit means, uh, uh, breath. When we say the law is dead, it's written in stone. The law does not breathe. It it, it can't change. It can't, it cannot, um, well, literally inspire. That means to breathe into. That's what the word inspire means. Spirata means to breathe in Latin and uh, like respiration. The law can't inspire. Its it's job is to point out, uh, and I'm talking about the Ten Commandments and the natural law, its job is to point out how frustrating human life is. As St. Paul says, I see what is good, yet I cannot do it. So, so the law is, is, is not a living thing. It doesn't breathe. But there is a law that breathes, and that's Christ. I remember talking to a young man uh, and a young woman. They're, they're no longer young. They were <laughs> When I was young, uh, they had fallen in love. And he was uh, a non-observant Jew, and she was Greek Orthodox and charismatic. Now, that's a combination. This is a person who is excited about God if you're Greek Orthodox and charismatic. Well, they had fallen in love already, and there was nothing they could do about it. I mean, when you make the mistake of falling in love, it's hard to fall out of love. It takes a, a few good arguments to do that. And to this day, they're still married. But this poor guy was so, so worried uh, because he was a Levite. And if they married, his, his son could not be a Levite. He wouldn't have the title of Levite. He could be Jewish, but he would have to undergo a conversion, even as an infant, uh, to become Jewish. But it was possible. You're only Jewish if your mother's Jewish. But that would mean he could not pass on his Levitical status. To his daughter, or his son. Well, the irony is they had one daughter. <laughs> but I said to him, you know that 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 you know that that for the sake of love, <laughs> you do some strange things. Think of what Abraham did. And then I told him, but you know we don't believe the sacrifice of Abraham, the binding of Isaac, was 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 uh, omitted or or um, or abnegated. It, It's as if God held his hand and said, let's do this together because we believe Jesus is the son of Abraham and the son of God. And he started getting nervous. And I said, in fact, as we believe that Jesus is the Torah come to life, Jesus is the law come to life. Jesus is the law breathing. This is a hard thing to wrap your mind around that something that breathes is alive. And the Greek word for breath is pneuma. If when something is not breathing, it is dead. The law does not breathe until it is brought to life by Christ. And he had flesh, which essentially is dead flesh breathes. But eventually this flesh, which is breathing for me right now, will someday stop breathing. It will be dead flesh. And so it might as well be dead. Well, Jesus did something amazing. He took dead flesh and turned it into breathing flesh, eternally breathing a spiritual body this is a very difficult thing to wrap your mind around at least it is for me <clears throat> so those uh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and remember that word is is hamartia it means failed flesh flesh that has failed for the sake of sin or because of this failure he condemned failure in the flesh. If you're in Jesus, there's no condemnation. But if you're not, you're condemned by the very fact that you're going to die. You're condemned to death. I'm not condemned to death. Neither are you if you're in Christ Jesus. My body may die, but it will come back to life as a spiritual body. That's what Paul is saying. That's what I believe. And that's what I have evidence of in the resurrection of Christ. So uh, he's saying that there's a, 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 a renewal of this law which applies to Greeks and to Jews. That is alive. Um, this is this is this is rough stuff. Ah, uh, well, let's go to today's reading because that's what that's what we're supposed to do. I I I really oh, there's so the Bible. There's so much in the Bible. All right. Those who are led by the, by the breath of God, well, I thought I said spirit, yeah, breath of God are the children of the sons of God. For you did not receive a breath of slavery. A breath, a spirit. When we talk about spirit, a like team spirit, maybe that's what they meant, but I don't think so. They, they mean a pneuma, a living being. There is, a, there is a breath of slavery, which is all about fear, but you received a, the breath of adoption. Huiothesia. It means becoming sons through which we cry, Abba, Father. And Abba doesn't really mean Father. It means Papa. It's a term of endearment, Papa. And and when Jesus said on the cross, into thy hands I commend my spirit, while every Jewish kid said that going to bed, he added a word there. He said, Papa. That's what he called the Father from the cross, Papa. Into your hands I commend my spirit. His faith was pleasing to the Father. And he died in the flesh, but was raised with a spiritual, real, tangible, physical body. The spirit, the breath, himself bears witness with our breath. We are children of God. Now, what does that mean? Well, when I when I talk about the breath, there's a breath about people, and I, I don't mean that uh, they merely failed to brush their teeth in Cargill, but but um, think of, think of the smell of your mother's perfume. People have a smell about them. The smell is very evocative. You know, there's some people who love incense because it reminds them of the joyous experiences in church that they had as children. There are people who hate incense because they only went to to uh, to church for funerals and, well, a lot of incense at some funerals. Um, but there's a breath about things. So this breath of slavery, someone who radiates a fear, and their their religion is all about about fear and condemnation. And then there are people whose religion is all about the fact that God loves them. Jesus loves me. This I know. That that those people have a spirit, a breath of sonship. That, yeah, I'm a mess, but... God, I know God loves me, and I, I love the prayer that they say at the minor ordinations. Grace has seen you safe. Uh, uh, what, what you? Oh, what is the, the prayer? Is it Grace has seen you safe this far? Uh, uh, oh, what Grace is. Well, that's from the song. It's a good one. Grace has seen me safe this far, and grace will bring me home. What the Lord has begun in you. Oh, I forget the prayer, but it's it's about grace will complete it. And we live our life so often, we live our life in fear. And there is a holy fear that we should have. We have a just Father who can't and will not deny himself uh, because he's truth. But he, God is pulling for you. You realize there's no condemnation for those who in Christ Jesus. And he's going to go on to say that all things work for the good. So uh, we suffer with him that we may be glorified with him. Remember, I've told you about a hundred thousand times that in the gospel of John, when you read about glory, Jesus is talking about the cross. Now has the hour come for the son of man to be glorified. He's talking about the cross. When the Greeks come to give him political asylum, he says uh, the same thing. Uh, uh, Father, glorify your name. I'm not a philosopher. I came as a sacrifice to die on the cross. Uh, um, uh, This idea of, of glorification. When Jesus died on the cross in the flesh, he showed his complete and utter trust in the Father. He showed the devil and the world who he was, the obedient son of the Father, and and uh, uh, the centurion looking on could say, looking at this, not uh, he was deluded. He clearly wasn't God because he died. He looked at that dead body on the garden and said, "Truly, this man was the Son of God." He manifested who he was. That was his glory. So if we if we trust God enough to suffer, you know, how can you be a Christian? There's so much in life, and you Christians, you deny yourselves so much. I deny myself nothing, but I receive everything from a father who loves me. I, oh, I could, i oh, we got to stop. I could go on forever and ever. Alleluia, alleluia. Oh, and I didn't even. Oh, let me do the. I got to do the gospel because this is fun, and we'll go to a break. Then we'll come back with uh, with um, uh, mass hysteria. Uh, this is Luke the thirteenth chapter. Uh, a woman who was there for eighteen years. She was crippled by by a breath an evil breath, an evil spirit. Uh, she had, she's bent over, incapable of standing erect. Isn't that interesting that Luke is blaming, and supposedly Luke is, uh, the tradition is he's a, a physician. St. Paul seems to refer to him as as, as my dear and glorious physician. Well, he's he's blaming the devil for this woman's infirmity uh, uh she's got that condition you see sometimes in 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 older women and sometimes older men that they are bent over she was bent completely well he she stood up straight and she glorified god but the the synagogue leader you know the rabbi is not the synagogue leader the president of the board is usually the synagogue leader but you have somebody who who's the synagogue leader it's not the rabbi his job is teaching well uh he was indignant that jesus cured on the sabbath now cure healing was the work of a doctor and work was forbidden if for instance you saw a person in a ditch bleeding to death you could tie up the wound so he didn't bleed to death you could save a life on the sabbath but you couldn't uh, uh put any any medicine on the wound to heal it that was the work of the doctor that would have to wait until sunday that's how closely they defined it. They had a dead law. Their law was about death. Uh, um, so that's what's going on here. Jesus saw the life of a human being as fuller. Uh, now, uh, th- that he was saving her law by restoring her health. Uh, well, the Lord says, hypocrites. Now, this was that was the Pharisee line. Now, the, this thing about about an ox or an ass leading out from the manger. The rabbis wisely uh, abhorred cruelty to animals. But isn't it work to tend to the, the cattle? And, uh, well, yeah, but but that's, that's kindness to animals. You're kind of animals, Shouldn't you be kind on the Sabbath to a person who is suffering? That's, that's how un, unbreathing the law was. And something that, that makes, seems perfectly sane to you or me, well, the Pharisees had, had painted themselves into a moral corner. And you know, we do that sometimes. Uh, we paint ourselves into a moral corner, not by uh, strictly obeying the law of God, but by strictly obeying our interpretation of the law of God. Now that's, that's, I, I hesitate to say that because a lot of people decide, yeah, I can interpret the law of God and I can go easy on myself. That's a slip to hell, frankly, but to love the law of God and to genuinely want to hear what God has said is one thing, but to decide my job is to tell you how you're sinning, even though I don't really know who you are or, or, uh, my job is to make sure that, that, um, that that you obey the law of God as I understand it, you know, that's another another slippery slope uh, to to making ourselves our own religion, our own God, and um, that's a problem. You know, uh, this is a very difficult thing, but the person who genuinely wants to live in the Spirit is a person who really, really works at hearing God clearly. And it's a person who studies a moral issue from every angle. He reads the encyclicals. He reads what the church has taught about this. He reads what the scripture says about it. With great prayer and thought, he tries to obey God clearly. Remember the definition of orthodoxy I gave you the other day? Orthodoxy is about hearing God as well as you can and obeying as, as, as fully as possible. Uh, it isn't about um, my telling you what you're doing wrong. And. You know, this is exactly what's going on in the synagogue, and it's exactly what Saint Paul is is speaking against in the first reading. I don't know if I'm clear at all, but uh, the letter of the Romans is it is a treasure. All right, let's go to a break. We'll come back with our mass hysteria, and you can call in at eight eight nine one four nine one four nine eight 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 nine one four nine one four nine. We'll be right back. The Relevant Radio studio line is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. Information about employment opportunities and their flexible premium life insurance plans available at RelevantRadio.com Forester. It's a beautiful song in its own way. When I first heard it, it's kind of gotten old. You know, I think that would be... Well, let's go to Mass Hysteria. <laughs> okay, Mass Hysteria. Where was I? The um, uh, yeah. When I first heard that song, I loved that song. The 852nd time I heard that song, which was probably in the second week after it came out, it got a little old. Um one of the greatest songs in Christian history is amazing grace I dread hearing it now I loved that song I was singing it when I was 15 and on my way to being a guitar playing hippie I was learning guitar then I dread hearing it now and it is one of the most profound songs uh, in its history and its writing and its content it's amazing but it oh I dread hearing it. You know, ask yourself about music. Will this stand the test of time? Doesn't mean it's a bad song, but just don't beat it into the ground. I had a wonderful time this weekend. I had I, I had, an, I had a, uh, a dinner for for uh, Chesterton School, and it just it was wonderful. I do so want to thank all the people. I I uh, I. I got to visit at this event and i, I particularly um, want to think uh thank well oh i suppose i can use the name the gaudettes who hosted this dinner uh, mary eileen and, and Matt. it was just splendid wonderful wonderful people and the, the, the conversation was just wonderful at any rate enough with the wonderful but um uh so i i was in 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 the joliet area and i went to mass at uh I hope I get this right. Let me just click this up. St. Okay. I'm sure that this is the right name of the parish. Uh, St. Jude's in Joliet. And it was, it, you know, it's, it's funny. Priests don't get to go to mass. And I really think priests should go to mass, you know, just go to mass. I mean, it is such a a glorious honor to, uh, uh, to say mass. Uh, I also said mass that Sunday, but, but I think priests should go to Mass on occasion, because you know, the Scripture is clear, what you hate do to no one. <laughs> In other words, uh, if you have to sit through a long, horrid sermon, Father, maybe your sermons will be shorter and well, a little more to the point. That's uh, people have said this to me about mine, certainly. But I had a wonderful time. Uh, the the pastor celebrated. It was the eight a.m. mass and Father Mike Lane. And it was I was not tempted once during the sermon to fall asleep. It wasn't that long. It wouldn't have been much of a nap, but it was about the gospel. And one of the things that struck me, they did the four hymns, but they did chant the. Uh, uh, the responsorial Psalm. And, and, and I was very struck by this, that of course, because of COVID, there are no song books and very few people were singing. Um, there's a very, very fine cantor, but very few people were singing. They were listening to the cantor sing. Um, but I noticed that at, at the Psalm response, since it was a chant i don't think it was a gregorian chant it might have been uh uh oh a Jellino psalm something like that it was it was a repeated melody a very simple repeated melody on the uh on the uh, uh the chorus and everybody by the second time around everybody seemed to be singing they weren't singing the hymns and and that really i think makes a point point. and it was not gregorian chant it was it was chant but it wasn't a gregorian chant uh and uh, but but father father lane said the mass simply, uh, he was saying mass. He wasn't, I didn't get the feeling that there was any performance or gimmick about it. And it was, it was a it was a lovely mass. It was Novus Ordo. It was facing the people. It was uh, in English and it, it was, it was just, there was a simplicity about it. And I was fascinated because, um, you know, so many churches you go to, it's all gray heads. It wasn't all gray heads. There were 8 a.m. There were quite a few young people there. Um, so so kudos to, to Father Mike uh, at St. Jude's in Joliet. And uh, um, again, I, I want to express to people, I'm not anti-hymn. I think hymns are very good. However, they have a place at Mass, and to sing them not in their place, I think, is foolish. Because it doesn't encourage people to sing. I would say, if you want to sing a hymn, sing it during the procession up. You want to sing a hymn, sing it during the procession out. But when you get to the body of the mass, you sing the mass. I also think traditionally there's a place for uh, a, a hymn after you've sung the communion verse. Um, uh, but I, I wouldn't even sing an offertory hymn because the congregation is supposed to be participating in the prayers of the offertory. But that's just me. I'm not anti-hymn. And I found, I found uh, the communion hymn that was sung uh, very moving. Uh, the Lord really spoke to me in it. So I'm not anti him, but I really am. Um, um, uh, I really want to point out that that hymns aren't what we do as Catholics at the mass. We sing the mass. We don't sing songs at mass. So that's why I've been grinding this axe. Well, let's go to letters. Ah, there's the trumpet. Uh, I got a letter. This was, oh gosh, this was a week ago from uh, from uh, Jim, the physicist in, uh, 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 in, in in Wisconsin, and he he said, you know, maybe we get we get tired of beauty. Children have a bounding vitality; they are uh, fierce and free in spirit. Uh, they therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, "Do it again." A grown-up person does it again until he's nearly dead. For us grown-ups, uh, we're not strong enough to exult in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. It's impossible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun, and every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never got tired of making them. Jim, that's beautiful. Maybe God makes every daisy separately, but he's never gotten tired of making them. That Jesus says, unless you're like a little child, you can't enter into his inheritance, into the kingdom. And I don't think that just means go to heaven. You can't enter into what God has for you if you're not like a little child. And little children, have you ever had a four-year-old say, but we always put that on the Christmas tree. (laughs) Always. Kid, you've noticed twice. Well, unless you're like a little child kids are always saying, do it again, do it again, do it again. You know, the trick with, I got your nose. (laughs) You can astonish your child with that for an hour. Uh, children rejoice in the same old thing because they can see the beauty of it. It's, it's us old folks who get tired, even of beauty. Uh, so Jim, I think that's a great insight. God bless you. And thank you. And thanks for listening. I'm honored that you do. Okay. Let's see here. Um, this is a letter also from, oh gosh, this is uh, from three days ago. During the consecration, the priest says he took the bread and said the blessing. What is the blessing, Jesus says? And this is from Jerry in Modesto, California. The blessing would have been the Jewish blessing of uh, for bread. Baruch Atah Adonai Melech uh, um, the, the I can remember the one for the blessing of wine. Uh, something about Bore HaGof and the fruit of the vine. Uh, but... They, this is whenever a Jew eats bread, he says, blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, of the universe, uh, who give us bread for the eating. We have those prayers. There's, those prayers have been put into the offertory of the Catholic Mass. They're not the ancient prayers. Though so That was an innovation in the 70s. It's interesting. I think it was done for the sake of, of can't we all just get along? Uh I personally, I love those prayers and I think that they're wonderful in the mass. However, there are some very beautiful prayers in the old mass. And I maintain that maybe we should look at putting some of them back in addition to the, 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 the Jewish blessing, which has become common. Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation for through your goodness, we receive that's, that's the, that's the blessing he would have said. Well, Jesus said it, shouldn't we do it? Well, oh yeah, we can do it. But my big, my big, Big, now, this is going to sound really weird problem. My big problem with the new Mass is that it is not addressed to the Holy Trinity. I, I, I mean it. I, most people wouldn't notice this. In the Mass, if you're falling asleep during Mass, a wonderful thing to help you refocus on the Mass is to look at the word you whenever it's said. Who's the you? 99% or maybe 95% of the you at Mass is the Father. It's thou or you or yours or thine—it's the Father. Then, just before communion, we have a no- or at the time of communion we have a number of prayers addressed to Jesus, to the Son. In the Mass, as we have it now, there is no prayer addressed to the Holy Spirit. We pray about the Holy Spirit. We call the Holy Spirit down on bread and wine, but we don't say "You" or "Thou" to the Holy Spirit. We don't address them directly. In the old Mass, there was one prayer in the offertory. Veni Santificator Omnipotens Eternideus. Come sanctify our eternal God. That was addressed to the Holy Spirit. Right now, we don't have a Mass addressed to the Holy Trinity. And I think that that is a problem. It doesn't invalidate Mass. Um, uh, in a sense, the, the laying, the, the imposition of hands over bread and wine is a, a nonverbal prayer to the Holy Spirit. But, you know, I think we need to look at, at, um, at the reform of the Mass. And, and there are some things, reforms always need reforming. And I really think that that we need to think about, about reincorporating some of those very beautiful and very ancient prayers from the old offertory. Get yourself... Uh, uh, um an old missile or look on the line they're beautiful prayers so um uh, those were replaced in the 70s with the jewish blessing of bread and wine so that's the blessing that jesus would have said and thus i think it's not inappropriate that we do put it in the mass so i hope that helps well let me see one more letter one more letter we got um oh this is this is somebody disagreeing with me from 3 days ago i think it's 3 days ago or maybe it's earlier than that um Um uh, Uh, he has a sweet spot for the loudness of the lead singer. If the lead is too quiet, people, there's a sweet spot. (laughs) Uh, Someone, another person disagreed with last week said he liked the canter that helped him sing. If the lead is too quiet, people will be shy. If the lead is so loud that you cannot hear yourself, people can't tell if they've hit the note. The one at the microphone is not the best person to understand how it sounds in the pews. Someone can hear how it actually sounds and needs to control the volume. Um, I'm by no means an expert, but I've spent, oh, this is Jim again. I've spent more than a few hours at a mixer tweaking the sound at church. You know, a lot of Protestant churches have a sound guy. Maybe that's what we need. If we're going to continue with the microphones and all that sort of thing. All right, let us go to a break. We'll come back with our word of the day and we'll take phone calls at 888-914-9149. 914-9149. The Relevant Radio studio line is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. Information about employment opportunities and their flexible premium life insurance plans available at relevantradio.com forester.
1: I'll meet you at church Sunday morning, and will hold you down <laughs>
0: Oh, I'll meet you in church Sunday morning. Oh, that's a hoot. All right, that's a, I've never heard this song before. <laughs> well, uh, if you're the choir, I'm not sure you'll meet me in your church. All right. Oh, <laughs> oh, I calm down. All right, let's go to the word. Oh, before we go to the word of the day, do not forget that we are going to be, be beginning a novena uh for the uh, holy souls that will of course begin on the 2nd of november all souls day and we'll be praying through the 10th uh the novena for the loved ones who we have who have gone to be with the lord and i i really do think that's an important part of our faith to see that we are part of this whole that the church isn't just the church that's on earth but but uh we have the church uh, glorious, the church victorious, the, the saints in heaven. We have the, the church penitent, and we are the church militant. And so when you look at the church, you say, oh, the church is a mess. Well, parts of the church are. Parts of the church always have been a mess. But the souls in purgatory are part of the church, and the saints in heaven are the church. And there are more people in heaven, I bet, and in purgatory the large part of the membership of the church is already there. So when we pray for those people in purgatory, it is not only a blessing to them, but a blessing to us that we, we unite ourselves to the whole church, not just the church that we see around us. So that starts on all souls day November 2nd. All right. uh, Now let's go to the word of the day. Well, I got a note from somebody I know, uh, about uh, the um, where 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 did I put it? Okay, um, uh, okay. About about uh, you've talked about body and soul composites recently on the show. In today's first reading, Paul says, "I know that good does not dwell in me; that is in my flesh." Very interesting. When we hear the word flesh, we immediately think body. But there's a different word for body as, and or for flesh in English. And it basically has the same meaning. I just want you to think about it. The body is a good thing. The flesh, meh. You know, the flesh is, is not very useful in the long run. Uh, and so the body is good. The flesh, not so much. Uh, um, and I think we don't differentiate them in our thinking. And I think, well, Scripture clearly does. sarks, flesh is that which clings to bones and and will rot. The body, uh, no, the body is, is something that is immortal and eternal in the resurrection. So I think that that's an important distinction. All right, I just, this person said, look at it, and I did. I found it interesting. All right, let us go to phone calls. Hi, Therese, are you with us? Yes, Father. Hello. Good, good, good. Hello. Yes. What can I do for you?
1: Uh, two quick things, Father. What was the number of St. Paul's gospel about the flesh and the spiritual not matching up? I keep hearing it, but I don't hear the number. Can you tell me where it is in the Bible?
0: Oh, it's in it's in it's in the readings we're doing. Uh, uh 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 right right the past few days uh Romans the eighth chapter uh um you can an example of it is is uh uh verse two and following Romans 8 two thank and you following so
1: much thank you and number two. there you two. go
0: easy question
1: yes it was and for you yes now this is it. I've always, always wondered. I like to think about the resurrected Christ a lot. It always comes to my mind for some reason. But I have this burning question. If you were to touch the risen Jesus, did he, would he have felt like human beings, like warm and spongy, like living people, or was he like an <laughs> embalmed person?
0: Now, he would have been warm and spongy, I have a feeling, uh, that uh, he says, touch me and see that I'm not a ghost. He invited them to touch him, to see that he was not a ghost. So it wasn't this kind of spiritual thing or a statue. It was a living, breathing body, a spiritual body, but living and breathing. Uh, to us, that makes no sense, but it was what Christ did. So, um, uh. uh that's that's um, uh, that's how it works does that help
1: yes father thank you very much
0: all right very good thank you Bye-bye. Who have we got now with your voice in my head? Matt from Bozeman, Montana. What? What is your question for me, Matt? Hey, Father. Uh, actually, not
1: a question. Uh, I did just want to point out, I don't mean to offend Jim from the letter uh, about the repetition and beauty and God's youthfulness, but that's actually a direct quote from Chesterton's Orthodoxy, Chapter 4, The Ethics of Elfland.
0: Uh, Jim, I'm sure, has read Chesterton. Uh, so I, he didn't, I, uh, it's beautiful whether Jim said it or Chesterton said it. I, I don't think, Jim is not a plagiarist. Trust me. I have met the man and he's, uh, he's, he's very much, a... uh, 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 a believer and a sci- he's a scientist. Uh, he's a physicist. So, uh, well, thanks for pointing that out. And uh, I'm sure I'm sure Jim will will. Uh, I, I don't suspect Jim of plagiarism, but it is beautiful. It is beautiful. Sometimes I quote people and forgot that I'm quoting someone because it was so long ago I heard them. That well, it isn't plagiarism on my part. It's it's just old age and forgetfulness. But uh, well, thanks for pointing that out. Very good. Very good. Uh, yeah. Who we got well, now, dear? voice in the my most head? guilty of that. Of that oh, one. thank you. All right, bye. Well, all right. Yes, he was. But, I, hey, anything good is stolen. Every every good idea I've ever had, I've stolen from someone, trust me, and certainly every joke. All right, who have we got now? Ron from Indiana, what is your question for me?
1: Well, I have a couple of questions. Number one, thanks for taking my call. Uh, you've made several references to the mass over the past few days. And so I'm curious. How did the Mass ever get to be called the Mass? I don't think the early Christians ever called it that. Um, And then the second question is, you've made references to Mary and said that uh, Mary is referenced in the Bible in several different places. Um, How about James? James is referenced as the son of Zebedee, and he's also referenced as the brother of Christ. What's the difference
0: all right. The first, second question is easy. James was a very common name in in Hebrew and Aramaic. It's Jacob. It was one of the there. Were, there were not a lot of names. They tried to choose names of heroes from Israel, and there are three Jameses in, mentioned in the Bible. There's a two James theory and a three James theory. Uh, there is James, the son of Zebedee. Then there's James, the brother of the Lord, and who was not a son of Mary. That's pretty clear from Scripture and from tradition. Uh, but there is also, uh, James, the son of Clopas. So some people think that James, the brother of the Lord and James, son of Clopas, may be the same person, or sometimes it's Alpheus instead of Clopas. So there's lots of Jameses. Now the first question, that's a fun question. <laughs> no, the mass is called the Eucharist. Originally it was the, th- uh, identified as the Messianic banquet. The same, sang- the, the, um, it was the Messianic banquet, the, uh, um, uh, come on brain, uh, which was called the Thanksgiving sacrifice, the toda. And the word thanksgiving in Greek is Eucharist. So it was called the Thanksgiving or in Greek the Eucharist. And the ending in Latin was ite, misa est, which means go, it's finished and if you slept through the whole mass the only word you heard was done <laughs> now people try to preach eloquently about how that word really means go you've been sent out uh because it is related to the greek or the latin word for sending and all that but it's really just the last word of the ma- the misa the mass it's the misa in 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 uh, um latin other people heard mass so that's how it got called mass it's the last it was almost the last word second to the last word in the liturgy um and uh, it isn't the proper name of that ceremony the proper name is the holy eucharist there you go well thanks for calling in and thanks for listening i wanted to mention that for a while and you solved that problem who we got now dear voice in my head Tommy from Austin, Texas, what is your question for me?
1: Uh, yes sir. Uh, yeah, I am calling about there's a
0: mathematician and, and physicist named Wolfgang Smith. Do you know do you know him? Have you heard of him? No, I don't. No, I don't. Well, uh, he, he's a, a Catholic fellow and um, had
1: a distinction between the corporeal and the physical. That sounded like what you were hmm. getting at with this distinction between the, let's say, the body maybe and the flesh, mm-hmm. and it was something I didn't really
0: understand, and I, I didn't know if you maybe had heard of them or had more to say on this distinction between these two uh, concepts. Wolfgang Schmidt. Wolfgang Schmidt. Smith. Wolfgang Smith. I will have to look him up because that does sound interesting. Uh, when you look at physics, I mean, I, I love physics and I am, uh, you know, I can only count to 20 if my shoes are off. I am not a mathematical person, but physics is utterly amazing. The The, the universe in its smallest components is a complete marvel. I mean, you look at the the galaxies and the stars and all oh, that's really cool, but the world is as amazing in the small as it is in the great. In fact, I think it's more amazing. Uh, the rules of physics on the on the submolecular level and the subatomic level uh, they violate what we think of as, as as common sense. The idea that one thing can't pass through another well that's not true. I mean, it's just astonishing uh, and great fun. And, you know, that that my body, or let's, you know, that I'm holding a coffee cup at the moment, which is almost empty. That means the show's almost over. Uh, The coffee cup seems very solid to me, but it isn't solid at all. It's just highly organized, very compact, very quickly moving bits of nothing. Uh, Matter is not what we think it to be. But this coffee cup has coffee cupness. It has has corporeality. It, It is corporeal. Uh, but the, the, the ceramic of which it is made, um, when you look at that ceramic on a subatomic level, well, there's nothing to it, how it can be so solid and be nothing at the same time. Um, that's sarx and soma that's flesh and, and, and body it's, it's, uh, corporeality and, uh and uh and the nature of substance so i'm gonna have to look him up thanks for bringing him up and i'll see if i'll see if uh if i can confuse people with my bad understanding of wolfgang smith thanks so much for calling in and thanks for listening who we got i think we can take another phone call patricia from texas what is your question for me Good morning, Father,
1: and God bless you. My question for you is, um, I have non-Catholic friends, they're Baptist, Protestants, and they often have asked me that why do Catholics wear crucifixes that have um, Jesus on it, the corpus, and also religious items, if he already died and was buried and is risen, that we should just wear a cross, but not showing Jesus on the cross. I don't know
0: how to respond to that. Well, we, uh, well, we tell, them, tell them that they're disagreeing with Jesus. Jesus carried the cross in his resurrection. He had the holes in his hands and feet inside. And if you look in the Gospel of John, as I mentioned earlier in the show, whenever Jesus talks about glory, he's not talking about the resurrection. He's talking about the crucifixion. Now has the hour come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Uh, There's a story where the Greeks come to offer him political asylum. And lo and behold, uh, he says, uh, uh, um, uh, he goes into this tirade. The the, the two disciples come and say, some Greeks want to talk to you. And he goes, he just goes, Wow And now is the hour come for the son of man to be glorified. Unless the grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains just a grain of wheat. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. I'm sure they said, all he said was... Backstory to that, which comes to us from the early church, is that Jesus uh, was being offered political asylum. So the cross was his glory when he showed who he was, the obedient son of the father. So Jesus carried the cross in his resurrection, the holes in his hands and feet and side. And so we honor his crucifixion because Jesus honored the crucifixion even in his resurrection. That's why. Have him listen to this clip, but also have him listen to Drew Mariani because, well... Talk about glorious. Mm-hmm. Drew's coming up. Don't go.